Welcome to the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. I'm your host, Larry Witzel. Seventh-day Adventist churches grow differently, and our goal with this podcast is to offer practical training for effective evangelism in the context of Adventist ministry. And in case you missed our announcement in the last episode, the Propel Conference will be coming back to Vancouver, Washington, April 28 to May 1, 2024. The steering committee recently met, and this year we're going to be putting a lot more emphasis on innovation with tracks on digital evangelism, reaching young adults, uh, in addition to a track specifically on evangelistic innovation. We're lining up some great speakers and getting the website ready, but for now, please save the date, April 28 through May 1, 2024, for the next Propelled Church Growth Conference. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Dr. Stan Hudson, Director of the Creation Study Center at the North Pacific Union Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. He is co-host of nationally syndicated Life Talk Radio's Sink the Beagle, a lighthearted look at the subject of creationism and evolutionism. A resource person for the Adventist Church on Origin Issues, Dr. Hudson lectures widely to both secular and religious groups. In this presentation, Dr. Hudson talks about the significance of viewing scientific data through the lens of a biblical worldview. He discusses various scientific concepts and controversies, such as the challenges to Darwin's theories, the complexity of life, uh, and recent discoveries contradicting the Big Bang Theory. He also touches on topics like the amalgamation of species, interpretations of biblical genealogies, and the potential for misinterpretations within both scientific and religious communities. He also talks about a new six-part preaching resource now available for teaching creation science called Origins, which has videos, expert talks, and a script for local facilitators. Dr. Hudson's passion for understanding and teaching creationism is evident as he emphasizes its place as a vital part of Christian faith and a tool for evangelism. I know that you'll be blessed. First, though, I want to mention the sponsor of this episode, Sermon View Evangelism Marketing. The Sermon View crew has a passion for ministry and they're nerds for marketing. Whether you're looking to meet new people by hosting a bridge event or a reaping series, or if you're looking for more ways to engage with one-on-one in-person Bible studies, Sermon View can develop a marketing campaign that will help you meet new people in your community and get more people through your church doors. Their unique approach has helped churches throughout the North American division see more people at evangelistic events and in-personal Bible studies. You can visit their website at evangelismmarketing.com to learn how they can build a personalized marketing plan for your unique church that is focused on making introductions for you. Visit evangelismmarketing.com. Okay, let's get on with our presentation. Here's Dr. Stan Hudson sharing as part of the Evangelistic Innovation Track of the 2023 Propel Conference with a presentation called Origins, the Evidence for Creation. My uh, interest in this subject goes back to childhood. Um, My dad took me out into the field and we did some rock hounding as a kid. And one thing led to another, and I just love being in mountains and looking at rocks. I tell kids, when I do talks with kids, you know how people go through the mountains and they go, look at that, look at that, this is me. Look at that rock, look at that rock. (laughs) I enjoy all of that. One thing led to another, grew up in Los Angeles, a very weak Adventist background, mom and dad divorced. Uh, Mom decided that she needed some help 
raising us, my sister and I, and put us in Adventist school. Uh, I got caught up in Los Angeles's uh, Hollywood's idea of what a scientist is. A scientist, the great searcher of truth. You know, the most objective uh, person out there. If you have a better theory than they do, they want to hear it, they'll accept it immediately. And so I enrolled at UC Riverside in their geology program started to hear things that I wasn't quite so sure was very scientific. I had a little weak Adventist background, um, so I was open to the idea of God. I was not a practicing Christian by any stretch. To give you an idea of my family's level of spirituality, our idea of vacations were Las Vegas. So, okay, you got the idea. <laughs> so anyway, but just listening to the explanations of, of, for evolution, I mean, there's no mechanism for it. What makes it work? Do you have an idea? Uh, the fossil record is not the friend of evolution. Come on. And when they started to be defensive about those positions, I said, now, wait a minute. How can you be defensive when you're seeking truth? You should be open. Everything's open. And they weren't. And, uh, and I, it kind of got me discouraged, frankly. It got me discouraged. I dropped out of school mid-program, and it was during that time that God graciously, wonderfully came into my life, powerfully moved me to a place called La Sierra. I walked into the college uh, admissions office a couple days before school. I said, I think I'd like to go to school here. I don't have any money. Is that a problem? So lady laughed and said, well, let's see what we can do. And I had all subjects done. But, they, but I had two years of religion, solid religion class, nothing else. And I just drank it in. It was just wonderful. And soon after that, people were calling me pastor. And so I just wanted to help. I wanted to be part of the team, right? We all want to be, you know, God, give me a broom. Just let me be part of what you're doing. About 25 years ago, I started to do creation ministry on the side. Started to use it in, as an evangelistic tool. Started to do things through radio and TV and things like that. I don't know if you've ever heard of Sink the Beagle. It's on Life Talk Radio. That's our program. A friend of mine and I do that. Uh, we got a, I've got a couple of series that have been on Hope Channel and 3ABN. Long story short, got really good friends with geoscience people, Tim Standish and all those guys down there. And I kept complaining to them. I'm a pastor in the field. I want to do creation ministry, and you guys are not a good source for me. Uh, you have not done anything for churches uh, in terms of providing materials. I've got to go to Answers in Genesis and other places like that to get materials. And then I've got to filter out the things we don't agree on, you know. Um, pastors should have something to help. And, uh, and they basically said, well, this is our ministry stand. We're doing, we kind of do have only time for this. We do research. We talk to college professors. We, we don't have time to send our people out all the time to churches, even though some of them occasionally did. Uh, so they said, Stan, you're out there doing as much as anything. Why don't you do it? Well, I've got this full-time pastor thing going on. I mean, I got a job. Mm, so I thought about it. And then seven years ago, Max Torkelson was the Union Conference president here in North Pacific. And he asked me, I was a pastor in the, in the Union, he asked me, Stan, we're thinking about doing a full uh, a creation ministry out of our office. And so I said, okay, what's he want? He wants ideas. So I'll give him ideas, sure. I'll be a resource for him to get that started. Then at the very end of his talk, he said, and we freed up a salary too. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, he's offering me a job. Oh, oh, nearing retirement. It's what I would do anyway. Uh, you know, so I said, well, let me think and pray about it. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> and it's been a, a wonderful experience ever since. Going to churches, going to schools, going to colleges, just doing public and, and uh, whatever kinds of uh, talks I can do on the subject of creation, trying to keep up on the nearest and latest things. And then, you remember COVID? COVID comes along. And uh, my union conference administration tells me, Stan, you are not going out. You are not going to churches. You're not going to school. In fact, we don't want you to come to the office. Okay? And that goes on month after month. And so I'm sitting in front of my computer and I said, what am I going to do with this time? And I said, oh, oh, I hear you, Lord. Time to put together the seminar you think geoscience should have done all this time ago. And so we raised the money. We, we knew people with money that believed in creation. We got the funding. I wrote the, the, the talks out. Um, we worked with a place called Sermon View to do the artwork and, and the PowerPoint slides. We worked with Brad at uh, Advent Source to come up with formats that he thought would be most practical to pastors. What are they looking for in seminars? And uh, we got a, a filmmaker to do videos for us that would fit inside this. And so here it is. This is the only Adventist-produced creation seminar to be used in Adventist settings. And so there it is. Praise the Lord for COVID. But anyway, it, I don't think it would have happened otherwise. So um, that's what this is. Now, um, I'm going to show you a few things with PowerPoint slides. And I'll tell you what's in this program, and I'll answer any questions you have. And maybe at the very end of this, if you've got general questions on creation, evolution, those kind of things, we'll talk about it. Incidentally, I always like to show pictures like this whenever I can. This is, especially to, frankly, to, to the choir, to Adventists. This is a star. That's a star. This is the deep space Hubble. This is not the James Webb, but the earlier one, the Hubble one. And that's a deep space picture. Every single thing, every little dot you see in that picture is a galaxy. Is a galaxy. On average, 200 billion stars. There is approximately 10,000 galaxies in this field of view. And you know how wide of a vision or field of view that is? That is the tip of that pin at arm's length. That's that much field in the universe. That's 10,000 galaxies. There, 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 there. You get the idea? There has been a new study on the number of galaxies in the universe done by a, a, an astronomer in England. And he says, I think our number's too low. And he restudied it, came up with an additional zero. Now we have two trillion galaxies times 200 billion stars each on average, 400 septillion stars. And what does the Bible say? God calls everyone by name. by name. When I talk about God at all, I am just blown away by the image I have of somebody that made this. Now, I'm still waiting for an evolutionist to ask me what I consider a better question than the usual one. They ask, if God is a God of love, why all this suffering in the world? I hear that a bunch. I'm waiting for somebody to say, if you think God made that, why do you think he has any interest in us? 
the specks living on a speck among billions of specks? I think that's a better question. But anyway, okay. So um, let us, let's, let's see what we can do about this seminar. How to put a creation seminar in. Now, this is Yellowstone, right? Science tells people this is where we came from. Some hot vent, some, some boiling chemical something or other that somehow or other just boiled organic material together and then eventually that organic material decided to reproduce itself and become alive. And somehow eventually we oozed out of that into the world we are in today. Any questions? Seriously, that's about it. That's about it. It is, it is insulting to an average intelligence what science is trying to promote as to where we came from. It, you know, and it's an insult to God as well. Anyway, so if you ask about evolution, evolution is fact. Okay, how so? Give me the facts. No, it just is because most scientists believe it. Okay, why? You can't get too many answers out of it. So anyway, the Seventh-day Adventist, you know this verse extremely well. We are to share with a loud voice. This is our work, loud voice. Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven, earth, and sea. Those three phrases are found in the fourth commandment, heaven, earth, and sea. But the springs of waters, the springs word is from the Septuagint, the pege of waters. Anybody reading this in John's day would say, oh, that's a reference to the flood. They would get it immediately. The hour of his judgment has come is more powerful when you point out the fact God has already judged the world once with water. And so our message is to share the world to the world that God is the God of Genesis. He is the creator. He's also the judge. And boy, I, I actually use the word fear here as fear. Not respect, not honor. If you're not ready for what's coming next, if you're not ready for the, uh, for the hour of judgment, you need to take this seriously. There's no other thing that you ought to be worried about more than meeting God in the, in the judgment. Anyway, so as it is right now, what do we do? We've got we to gotta depend on answers in Genesis. How many of you have been to this? Okay. It's, it's pretty good. Everybody, it's a bucket list thing. Everybody ought to do it once. Answers in Genesis, Ken Ham. These people do an outstanding job of speaking about God as creator with a loud voice. Uh, I wish we could match them for power and for efficiency, of course, and funding. That cost $100 million to build that. So, but anyway, you should do it. So we, we came up with this. There are six talks in this presentation, six talks, and, and it's, all of them are based on the origin of such and such. And so we do all this. This is uh, artwork from uh, Sermon View and appreciate very much their work. The program format is this. It starts off with a one to two minute opening video as introduction. I fought this a little bit because they said, well, if you're having a pastor say, come here, pastor such and such, touch, talk about creation. Uh, it won't get as much impact as a supposed expert on the subject speaking. So, sorry guys, 
Uh, they said, Stan, you need to present. I, I, and I fought it. I said, I want this to be a local program. We'll make it as local as we can. But they got to bill you in this. So I have a one to two minute opening video where I say, Tonight, thanks for coming tonight. We're going to talk about such and such and uh, blah, blah, blah. And uh, now I'm going to turn it over to my local friends there at your site. And, and so it's turned over then. 30 to 35 minutes of science slides on the topic of, the, of that meeting. Um, with, I would say I probably quote evolutionists about 90% of the time. Uh, then there is a 10 to 12 minute video in the middle of the program that is talking heads, experts on the subject, geoscience people, John Bradshaw's in one, you get the idea. Uh, then we finish with a 10 to 15 minute run of biblical slides on the topic and what the Bible says. And we've heard what science says. Let's see what the Bible says on the subject. So anyway, the whole thing is about an hour. Origin of the debate sets the stage. That's the first topic. Why is it that science and religion don't agree? How did that happen? Because science was born in religious thinking. So anyway, start on that. Then we start. Uh, then we do a, a second night, a second meeting on origin of humankind. I used to have mankind, and then some millennials got a hold of me <laughs> and said, "No, you need more inclusive. Use humankind." And then, then uh, oh, okay, okay. So, so, all right, origin of humankind. Uh, and incidentally, in the humankind one, I, I'll hit uh, most of the famous discoveries, like Lucy. Who is Lucy? What is the science really behind Lucy? And you will see Lucy is clearly an ape, not a human. Uh, and I quote evolutionists saying that. So anyway, we, we try to debunk some of the more famous ones at National Geographic, which is the signs of the times of evolution. Anyway, National Geographic will promote, uh, we try to hit those. Origin of the oceans, as you can imagine, the flood is where we talk there. And the flood, and creationists will talk more about the flood than just about anything. Why? Because the physical evidence is overwhelming. It's, it's, you, you can't come up with a better explanation than the flood for what we see on the crust of the earth. That's physical. You can people show people pictures of it. You can't show people pictures of the six days of creation. God said, let there be light, and there was light. How are you going to prove that scientifically? But you can sure prove the flood that's mentioned in Genesis. And if they accept that, they might, as historical, they might accept the earlier chapters as well. That's the idea. Anyway, um, origin of dinosaurs. And um, obviously, I will not bring up amalgamation in this. I actually have a little short video that's meant for Adventist eyes only and where I try to unravel what Ellen White said about amalgamation and put it together in a context that makes sense. So, but dinosaurs are actually helpful in the subject of origins because of the very famous soft tissue found in a T-Rex bone. And because of that, the question of how old they are is absolutely up in the air. Mm -hmm. So that's helpful. Okay, 
and origin of the Earth. This is where we talk about age dating and some of the radiometric dating that gives us millions of years, what it's based on, how reliable has it proven, and that kind of thing. So if I don't talk about this when I'm talking to a secular group, uh, they just think I'm a Bible-thumping know-nothing which I might be anyway, but <laughs> if I don't talk about some of the issues that are a little more challenging for us scientifically, in age of the earth is one of them, no question. But we talk about decay and what decay is there from a spiritual aspect. And then finally, origin of the universe. And here we deal with the Big Bang. And ultimately, there's a real good quote by an agnostic group uh, on the internet, no, an atheist group. And they basically said this, how you view how things began affect how you think they will end. And that's a good quote. So, yeah, absolutely true. So we talk about the Big Bang. Now, here's my problem on this. And here's a challenge for me as I'm sinking into semi-retirement. I need to keep updating this thing because things keep coming out. And so, for instance, since we've had the James Webb telescope blow apart the Big Bang theory, uh, that's not in here yet. And so, <laughs> oh boy, anyway, um, they were hoping that as they looked further into space, they would find baby galaxies, and they have not found baby galaxies. The galaxies are fully formed. That's not uh, how the Big Bang started. So anyway, it just blows it apart. And you can get some good quotes from very secular astronomers today that will say, hey, we have no idea now. I mean, it's back to square one. And uh, it's very interesting. So anyway, oh, and incidentally, in this one, this one, I talk about hell, because that's how things end. In, in some people's minds, have a great interview with John Bradshaw on this. And John Bradshaw ran through his segment. We asked him, what do you think about the biblical concept of hell? And he just went on and did about a five-minute cut on this. No mistakes. Didn't have to redo anything. He just, and it was a... <laughs> Shows you what a professional can do, right? <laughs> All the rest of us have to redo. Let me start that over. Let me, no, not for him. Did a good job. So we talk about hell in this. Why? Because Darwin wrote uh, his beliefs very strongly against God because of hell, the concept of hell. He said, I cannot follow a God, cannot believe in a God who will burn people for eternity for not believing in him. That would include my dad, my brother, my, some friends and everything. I have no interest in the God who does that. So that kind of opens the door, as you can imagine, in this last segment of making this a pretty good bridge event for evangelism to follow. Because here's a good way to conclude this. We've just now spent six meetings talking about how things begin. Would you like to spend some time studying on how things will end? It's a, it's a good segue. So, anyway, so, uh, and, you know, we, we talk about various things in science slides. Gives you an idea. They're animated like this. We use Nathan Green pictures when we can afford it <laughs> because some of his are just that good. I also put in here a bonus sermon, PowerPoint sermon, that's in essence a, something you can do in your church to build interest in the subject of why we should do creation ministry. And you do this a few weeks before, a week before, and uh, it's based on Revelation 14, 6, and 7. Um, 
Americans still have a fairly high view of the biblical account. There's no other Western nation even remotely close to this in this number. Plus, they also have a high view of theistic evolution. We spent a little time in explaining what theistic evolution is. High view of God, high view of science. Try to put the two together. Uh, don't think about the ramifications. It turns out to be not really good science or religion. And then uh, natural evolution, and this number is high among teenagers. So anyway, we talk about the differences of science. We talk about everything has to do with worldview. Worldview is where it's at. Do you believe in the existence of God? Where does he fit in the picture and so forth? Um, data, interpretation. Uh, data is not interpretation. Uh, okay, this works in Oregon really well. This view. Okay, notice this. In 1998, a poll of National Academy Science people. These are the people that set up the curriculum in our schools from kindergarten to university. And they were asked whether they believe in God. And you will not find a higher percentage of disbelievers in almost any community. You'd have to almost go ag atheists or us or something to get a higher number. <laughs> yeah. But this is in the magazine Nature. Now this number, that's a fairly old quote, but that's pretty well holding. So yet science started. We talk about the change that happened in universities, secular humanism. Science operates using models which are difficult to change. This guy came up with the concept of paradigm and paradigm shift. This is fellow who did this and it was based entirely on science models. That models change. The way we look at nature and the way we interpret it based on models. And he says it takes a huge amount of evidence for science, the supposed objective people looking for truth, who should drop their old theories in an instant if a better one comes along. He said, no, we scientists, PhD in physics from Harvard, uh, we, we have a hard time losing our models. And he got a lot of criticism for this, but over years this has reluctantly been agreed that there's something to it. They are defensive of the models. We talk about alchemy and how models are hard to change. They never had a single uh, instance of moving lead to gold, soft, heavy metals, both. Uh, lead bad, gold good, right? But anyway, um, they kept the model. Oh, I have fun with this. I say, you might think this is a light uh, bulb, but actually this is a dark sucker. It sucks, it sucks dark out of the room. But <laughs> you haven't seen it work? Flip the switch, and there goes the dark. And it goes in here and, and, eventually, and eventually fills this bulb up to where there's no more room for dark. That's why. And that's why it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but the thing is, to interpret a model is just fun. So anyway, science currently is committed to materialism. That's not Mercedes-Benz materialism, uh, but material is all there is in the universe. For we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. And of course, you know this guy, Francis Crick, the co-discoverer of DNA. Mm -hmm. Biologists must constantly keep in mind that what they see was not designed, but rather evolved. Now, does that sound like an objective approach to data? He says, boy, this sure looks designed. Oh, that's not design, design. And boy, it sure, but that's not. <laughs> anyway. So, you know, we have a way, we can tell when random forces are involved and we can tell when intelligence is involved in organizing things. We talked briefly about what life is. Life is the most difficult thing. Did you know that scientists actually are anti-law people? 
because <laughs> this is Louis Pasteur who came up with the law of biogenesis. In other words, life, live material only comes from live material. And actually, science believes live material came from unlive material. That's, a, that's against Nebastur's law, abiogenesis. Okay, let's go. Uh, keep on going. Did you know that they think cells used to be bubbles? Any questions? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm going to just uh, go to this. And this will explain a lot in science, in the development of science. If there's a pothole that science usually runs into, can't miss it, cannot miss it in the road. It's assuming things are more simple than they are. The more you study anything in nature, the more complex it becomes. Darwin thought that we were made out of protoplasm, which is jelly, which you can kind of get sometimes. But, <laughs> but are we ever more complex? The universe is more complex. The Big Bang Theory has just been shot down because it's more complex. Um, anyway, so the perfect storm for evolution in the 19th century happened like this. The weakening of the Bible standing in universities. Um, Darwin was taught there in that kind of setting. Discovery of key fossils, Archaeopteryx, that's that half bird, half lizard looking thing. Dinosaurs were being discovered, had not been discovered prior to the 19th century, hardly at all. And Neanderthal was found and maybe, you know, and it was found in a cave and all that. Ignorance about the complexity of genetics and the growing belief that the world was perhaps millions of years old, which would give time for evolution to happen. So. Uh, I talk about Galapagos, uh, th that stuff that Darwin found in the Galapagos, and what he said, and what science now believes about the subject. Um, yeah. Did you know that right now they don't have a theory that, that there is an agreement on as to what causes evolution? They don't have a trigger. They don't know what, what makes it happen. Up until recently, it was thought to be mutations. Not survival of fittest, that was Darwin. We're up, we're past Darwin. Now we are into mutations. When I'm talking to kids, did you know that science thinks you are walking mutants? How could, is that cool? Maybe that's cool, I don't know. But your, your accidents, you are animated pond scum, hairless, and, you know, hairless apes, uh, all of that. You, you know, incidentally, you can point this out. Why are kids, why is depression in, in young people going through the roof? Antidepressant drugs, the use is incredible now among young people. Why? Well, I think part of it is they're just pounded with this idea that you are an accident. You're, you, you have no future. You were not here with any purpose. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's it, you know. So anyway, so this is a really good quote. I'm just going to kind of conclude science-wise on this. All the central assumptions of the modern synthesis, that's neo-Darwinism. That's mutations, does it? This guy has said, have been disproved. He's an evolutionist. And he said, guys, we don't know what causes evolution. Everything that we can possibly figure out in the laboratory about mutations is mutations is a loss of function. It's a broke. It's breaking. See, how can you continually break DNA from parent to child and go from a single cell of life to you and me today? It's absolutely irresponsible science, and it's ridiculous. And it shows you to what length they will go. I don't say this publicly. What length they will go to disprove the existence of God. You know, that nature somehow or other can, can oops us into existence. One of the things that surprised me about science when I was taking science was 
they are not the objective people they present themselves to be. They are religious people. And we're all defensive on our positions, aren't we? <laughs> yes? A tremendous amount of academic peer pressure. Yes, if you want a job. They can completely lose their standing. Um, a lot of, it, it depends upon where in the country we're talking about. The South is a little more open, but depending in Northwest, not particularly. Um, the departments, the universities are very, very sensitive to the, their images. And to have a creationist on staff is an embarrassment to them. A good example of that is Francis Collins. Yes, Francis Collins is a good example. And he's open to the idea of God. And he did the um, the gene, the gene uh, what do you call it? Human genoma. Yeah, gen, gen, and say it again. Genoma. Genome. Genome. Sorry, it wasn't quite English there. <laughs> Just so genome project, and he's a very brilliant person, and he is very open to the idea that God must be involved in 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 us, in making us. So catches a lot of flack, but if you have a certain standing, maybe you can get away with it. I don't know. Understand this, why hasn't geoscience done one of these before? And if you get them on the side, off camera, and you ask them, I frankly think, this is my interpretation, I think they're worried that you guys would make us look dumb, us Adventists look dumb, because you're not experts. And so they've been hesitant to give you a chance to make our community look a little funny. And so, um, and of course I push back on that. If you just give us the right tools, give us the scripts, uh, and so forth. Now I also have in here some of the most common questions asked, and you'll get some answers there to deal with some. But, uh, you know, there will always be a question. And listen, it's okay to say, I don't know. I'll look into it and try to get you an answer. It's okay. On a Bible topic, it works, right? This is based on Brad, Brad at AdventSource telling us what is the best, most popular format. So I've got a complete written script for every slide. Mm -hmm. You can just read the script. And it, 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 when there's an animation on the slide, a second point come off, then you have another bit to read, another point, and so forth. It's, it's tied directly to this slide presentation. So anybody can do it. Pastors can do it. Science education, health providers with a little bit of science is probably always good. Um, but this is intended to be able to minimize the problems that we could anticipate here. Um, and pray because God will help you through anything. I have preconceived ideas. Anybody here have any? <laughs> Here's my preconceived idea on the subject of origins. I believe in a gigantic God. And I believe in a God who is capable and caring. I think he's capable of giving us a written record that's reliable. And I think he probably anticipates us wanting to have one. And it cares enough for us to not want to leave it to atheist scientists to give us an idea where we came from. So I think it's God is capable of giving us a written record, and that's why I believe 100%, like Jesus, in a very high view of inspiration of the Bible. So if I come up with something that says something different than the Bible, it's not a problem for me. I go with the Bible. So I'm saying that that is an issue in a lot of these things, frankly. I don't believe God 
is incapable of giving us a clear to understand record. So I'm putting it on God. If you're saying it's hazy, there are hazy things in the Bible, no question about it. God doesn't spend a lot of time describing how he did things. Um, and in those cases, if you want to do what Ellen White calls harmless speculation, uh, that's fine. When we get into trouble, it's making it a doctrine that everybody's got to toe the line to. So, um, yeah, anyway, I, I'm just saying I start, my, my theology on this starts with a big God, a capable God. And I believe that every word comes from the mouth of God, as, as Jesus said. And then he goes on to quote Moses. So I, uh, you know, anyway. Okay, we Adventists, you know, at the Union office where I work, North Pacific Union, just here a few miles away, I've had two people tell me, Stan, when I was in school, we could not talk about dinosaurs. Because we had this, this, we were confused about, talk about confused species. We were the confused species. <laughs> we were confused about, where, about dinosaurs. Um, Take a look at her quote. Boy, I've probably got a slide to show your exact quote. But she said, if there was one sin above any other that caused for God to send the deluge, this is in spiritual gifts, predecessor, patriarchs, and prophets. So anyway, if there's one sin above any other, it was the base crime of amalgamation of man and beast, which caused the facing of the image of God and confusion everywhere. Okay, some people have read this as man with beast. The word amalgamation means mixing, mm. mixing. So mixing man with beast, okay, whoa, what kind of super weird animals are we, is that dinosaurs, you know? So they, it was kind of like, we don't know and let's just not even talk about it. Maybe the devil made dinosaurs and all of that kind of stuff, so. Take a look at the context. First of all, she says, if there's one sin above any other, it was that. And so I'm saying, well, that's going to be in the Bible. So I go to the Bible, Genesis 6, and it says, the sons of God looked upon the daughters of men, that they were fairer and married whoever they wanted to. Look at the next verse. God's done. Okay, that's it. 120 years for man. That's it. So, I mean, it, it was a triggering event for God. What is the sons of God with the daughters of men? And please don't say angels. That's Baptists. Baptists think that's angels. <laughs> Angels making babies. Ah. So anyway, who are the sons of God? Sometimes they say the line of Seth, right? And then who are the daughters of men? The line of Cain. And so, and you read, and she talks about that a lot. Married out of the faith, married idolaters, uh, defaced the image of God by doing that. God's image in mankind was completely lost. They only become violent and evil intent all the time, and so on. Now, what you need to point out in the, in the verses in Genesis is that all flesh corrupted their way. The earth was filled with violence through them. God targets the animal kingdom as well as the human kingdom in the flood. He could have picked something to just target people. But the animal kingdom also was violent and out of control. So he basically is going to start off with better animals and people. It's a recreation. It's going back to Genesis 1.1. There's only water. And then starting off again. So, okay, what's the amalgamation of man? That was the man. But what about beast? She talks about confused species. And the confused species did not get on the ark. Only the ones that God created got on the ark. Now, some Adventists have been doing some quick thinking and saying, confused species must be dinosaurs. That's why we don't have dinosaurs today that didn't get on the ark. Uh, 
that's a, too quick of a read. Um, I do not deal with this in a public meeting. Of course, I'm not going to quote Ellen White in a public meeting. So, and that's the basis of all this amalgamation is Ellen White. So, here's what here's the way of looking at this. So, the confused species were made by man, the devil through man. What are they confused about? Some kind of mixing of animals that were not intended to breed, but bred them. What are they trying to do? Are they trying to push the frontiers of science forward with new biological discoveries? No, their thoughts are only evil continually. And what is their problem? Violence. I think some dinosaurs were bred to be warrior dinosaurs. You understand what I mean by that? Combat oriented. Fighting, they could have been in a, for an arena, they could have been for warfare, they could have been for hunting, but whatever. You see ankylosaurs, if you know what that is, they look like little tanks on four legs. They've got spikes out their back and a club for a tail and armored head. And you look at that and you say, that thing didn't waddle out of the Garden of Eden. You know what I mean? Okay, that's just my speculation on this. I'm trying to figure out what would pre-flood, pre-deluge, wicked, bright people want to do with the animals, the, the line of dinosaurs that were there. Why not make them into warrior dinosaurs to, for their goals of being violent and so forth? So I, obviously this is harmless speculation, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I like my theories because you can't disprove them. <laughs> <laughs> but she says that all the, th the, the kinds of animals that God created were on the flood. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to, yeah, Job. okay, you're all familiar with the behemoth in Job 40, okay? So God, it's, I love this section of the Bible because it's the longest section of God talking nonstop. And that makes it a good read right there. Yeah. And what's he talking about? His creation. Mm -hmm. Check out my creation and you can see I know what I'm doing, mm -hmm. basically. He's bragging about some animals. Yeah. And he talks about the behemoth. And he says, have you seen behemoth? Or do you, do you understand behemoth? I made him along with you. Sixth day of creation, land animal, something like that. Okay. Um, his, his strength is in his, you know, his middle parts. He's really strong in the middle. He eats grass. Okay, he's vegan. Okay, good. So, <laughs> impressive. Uh, he sways his tail like a cedar tree. Literally sways his tail like a cedar. Cedar is the largest tree in the Middle East. And then go down to the very last frame. He is the, um, what is it of God? He's the first of the ways of God. Now, first, if you look at uh, researchers looking at that phrase, uh, Bible scholars, they say this is not chrono chronological. It's talking about positional. This is the first, this is like top of the pyramid, most impressive animal. Okay, if you have the kind of Bible that has a tiny print out of the bottom, scholars think this animal is a, what does it typically say about the behemoth? It says it's a hippopotamus. Have you seen the tail of a hippopotamus? It does not make you think of a giant cedar tree. <laughs> and even an elephant, second choice, same thing. So if you think about what's the most amazing animal that God could ever brag about, it just might be one of these giant sauropod, brontosaurus-type dinosaurs with a tail that would do that. Now, that would be a legendary animal to Job, probably. 
But anyway, that might be the one that God was saying was most impressive. That's a thought. Again, can't disprove it. A lot of creationists think that. Now, here's another thing that Ellen White says about dinosaurs. She says there's a class of very large animals. She says mammoth animals that did not make it on the ark. Why? Because man in his diminished state after the ark would not be able to handle them. So So that's the largest. Now, we've got elephants. Elephants made it on the ark, so we're talking about animals bigger than elephants. And they are destroyed in the flood, not because they're amalgamated, but because they're too big. So I'd say those, that, that's what happened to sauropods, the big ones, the big four-legged ones. But did smaller dinosaurs, let's say elephant on down, get on the ark? Uh, the ones that God made, not confused ones, not ones bred for warrior, uh, warrior status. And I, and I pose this as a possibility. What about the dragon stories that we have all around the world that date back to apparently post-flood, apparently post-flood where people can remember big lizards around. Incidentally, the word dragon means big lizard. does not mean necessarily all the imagery that we bring from the Middle Ages of the pointy and the fire breathing and the flying and all of that. These dragon stories typically are talking about an animal the size of maybe a horse, not a, not a house or bigger, but not the giant sauropod ones. So anyway, in these stories that we have from all around the world, China, you know, everywhere, uh, these animals are almost always in a story where there's one, like the last one. It's not a herd of them or a flock. It's like one. And typically in the story, something happens to it and that's it. There's no more. Um, It's just interesting to me that 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 is a typical story from every corner. So the question would be asked an evolutionist, why do you suppose people have these dragon stories that they can think back when there was time these big lizards were around? And they said, oh, well, maybe they saw a big bone or something and thought that. So where would you get a lizard from a big bone like this? And why a lizard? Lizards not scary. Lizards are annoying animals to people living in those days. Um, why not if you live where there are wolves, like in Europe or something, imagine that maybe this was from a giant wolf. There's no giant wolf stories or giant lions or tiger stories or bear stories. They're always consistently big lizard stories. So I just think there's a kernel of truth in these ancient stories, and they come from every corner, that they might be talking about uh, the remnant of the ones that did make it onto the ark. Now, I have a question for you theologically. Does the devil like to mess up the best things God makes? Of course. Marriage, Sabbath. I would like to suggest that maybe he targeted, the devil targeted Mm -hmm. the the dinosaur line because it was the most amazing thing and wanted to use it. And here's a good, good thing to carry if you want to. The dragon in Revelation. For instance, in 12, dragon was wroth, you know, all that stuff. 12, 13, 14, the dragon is deceiving the whole world. What is he using as an image to deceive the world in a non-believing Genesis? Not believing the first angel's message. How about the image of a dragon, i.e. dinosaur? You know, when people see a dinosaur, don't they say, a dinosaur, yeah, millions of years. Not Genesis. Well, the Webb Telescope, um, and I really do want to talk to an astronomer about it to get some insight specifically. I mean, I think I can follow the basics, but I want to make sure I'm dead accurate with any quotes or anything I'm going to do. But um, 
my understanding is they anticipated looking back another billion or two years in, in uh, the light years to see the beginning of the Big Bang, or at least shortly after the Big Bang. What they expected to see, light traveling 13 billion years uh, through the universe, they expected to see a little video, <laughs> you know, the, the, the youngest pictures of the galaxies, just post Big Bang. Instead, they found more mature um, galaxies than they expected to see. And so it doesn't look quite, you have to understand tracking, and I have it in there uh, on how we got the Big Bang Theory, that the universe is expanding. That's by the red light shift. In other words, things moving away have a different light color in the spectrum. They're moving away. Incidentally, did you know that in Isaiah, God, it says that God is stretching out, present tense, the heavens. It's not bad science for, what is that, 800 BC? Anyway, so, so stretching out the heavens, it appears the heavens are expanding. Um, the evolutionists sent up a probe called the WMAP, WMAP probe to try to look for background radiation. In other words, they thought basically the remnants of the explosion in the universe, and they went, they sent this probe out, and they got it microwave radiation that would look like it was the remnants of the big for them it just pretty much said it okay the big bang did happen yay we're right and they did this and now <sighs> so um, <laughs> anyway I, you know I'll have to I'll have to give you some more information once I have it but that's basically the gist of it they expected to see something they did not see I could James Tour is a synthetic Chemist, mm -hmm. CD, T-O-U-R, and uh, lots of lots of uh, YouTube's on James Tour. Very funny. Um, he is a converted Jew, a Christian, and he's got a wonderful testimony. Oh my goodness, you'll be moved to tears by his testimony. But when he talks about the difficulty of evolution going from from the very basic beginnings through organic materials, uh, organic uh, molecules and everything. He says it can't be done. It just can't be done. You can, I could give you these starting points and you can't go anywhere with them. I mean, he's, he's really good at it. So uh, anyway, James Tour, The intelligent design people who are in Seattle and you've heard of intelligent design, uh, they are not necessarily creationists, but they're certainly not naturalist uh, evolution. They're Christians. And, uh, and they want to show what the odds are for the things that have to take place for life and to, to evolve. And so they worked, there were a lot of mathematicians among them, as you can imagine. So they did a lot of odds, you know, predictions and so on, and they really are amazing. Yeah, there's, you, you get chronologies around the world. You, you get people who uh, think that the Septuagint was adjusted to be longer uh, um, uh, genealogies in Genesis because of the history, historical rule of the Egyptian pharaohs. So they were influenced by the Egyptian pharaohs and to come up with a longer time. Um, we have to be careful on some of this. People ask me, uh, well, you know, Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 says that the earth was void without form. Does that mean it was here for 4.3 billion years before everything else? And uh, the answer is maybe, but it doesn't help us with any of our dating issues. Not a one, doesn't help us at all. Because the dating issues have to do with lava flows that are in between and mixed in with uh, fossil records. 
So very hard to come. That, that's where the rubber meets the road. So it doesn't help us. It's not a hill we're dying on. The Hebrew is kind of interesting about void without form. Was it there before? Did God decide to come back to it later? Maybe, but who cares? It doesn't help us. So anyway, um, so speculations. I, I rather stick to the strict. Uh, Genesis is actually more interested in chronology than any other Old Testament book. You know that? by their formulas for, for generations. And the so-and-so so lived so many years afterwards, begot more sons and daughters, and then died. Well, that formula is not found anywhere else. And I, I mean, it's clearly meant to be reliable. Um, narrative form. Take a look at this. Werner von Braun. I mean, hopefully the world is not, has not forgotten Werner von Braun. He is this, the head scientist of NASA during our Apollo mission. If there's a single scientist that was responsible for people walking on the moon, it was this creation scientist, Werner von Braun. So the point is this, can you do good science and still be a creationist? Well, yeah, we're walking on the moon because of it. So anyway, okay. Let me, uh, let me tell you a little bit more about the seminar so you know what's in it. Um, so here it is. You can get it from Advent Source. Um, after I presented this to a bunch of conference presidents, the first thing those guys told me, and I, I, when I'm among them again, I'd like to point out, I won't say the name of him, but he, he lives in Boise, Idaho. Anyway... <laughs> First thing he said after I make this heartfelt presentation of all this work was, when's it coming out in Spanish? <laughs> so anyway, guess what? It is out in Spanish now. And this is a God thing. Oh, there's been so many. I, I'd love to give you all the stories about how this came together. But God was in it from the beginning. So we got a, the, the videos were done by a very positive, young, bright Adventist filmmaker, conservative, intelligent, had creative ideas, uh, easy to work with. If you want a, a name of somebody that can do that with you, let me know. Um, he, so here is, there's a media kit. We've got several videos in here. We got how to market it, how to use um, uh, like Facebook and that, uh, and I, we, we got a video for you to do that. Uh, and literally to post on Facebook with, you know, you add the information. Um, how to do it, we have uh, participant guides, event coordinator guide. Um, so this is what to do to set up for it. This is the, the uh, slides with the uh, talks that you would read per, per slide, the scripts. It's all here. Um, it's a six-part series. You can do it however you want to set it up. But like I say, it's a great bridge event to segue into more prophecy and last time events if you want to. But um, anyway, hopefully it's, it'll meet some needs. You have questions about it. Uh, I don't know what the price is right now. I think it's $79, I think. I think it's that. It's close to that. They might give you a deal here for this conference. I gave a presentation at the call convention on this, and they had a price, a better price at that time. I don't know if they'll match it or not. But um, so the point is this: if we want to make Seventh Day Adventists of anybody. Uh, they're going to at some point come to the Sabbath, and if the Sabbath is going to be supported, 
um, and they can intellectually believe it. You know, I, I believe what Jesus said to the woman at the well, the Father seeking those who worship in spirit and in truth. And I take that, that my interpretation is the heart and the head. And that God wants us to be intelligent worshipers who know what we're, who we're worshiping and why. Yeah, intelligent worship. So, any any other questions? Oh, incidentally, we do have a few of these if you're interested. <laughs> it's just because I'm such a rock and fossil nut. Um, I put together a few fossil sets for anybody who wants to use uh, this as uh, an interpretation hands-on with people. Because sometimes people like to, uh, i got a dinosaur tooth in here, mm -hmm. and stuff like that, fish fossils and that. So if you're interested in that, those are for sale, and they are for sale for much less than what we put into them. But anyway, just to be a hands-on thing. <laughs> they found a tissue on the T-bone. Yes, yes. How did that mess up there? Oh, tremendously. In fact, the woman scientist who was in charge of the group uh, published her work and was clobbered by fellow scientists. You say you're a scientist. You're, you are a, um, an insult. You're an embarrassment to your university and to the, the world of science. And on and on it went. Imagine publishing that there was soft tissue and come on, play. Who do you? I mean, all these insults. And there was no women's rights person to stand up and defend her in this case. Mm -hmm. But you know what? She, she's a good scientist. She's a Christian, but she's a theistic evolutionist. But anyway. Uh, she listened to the critiques, and there was a couple there that thought made some points. So she went and redid her, her research, republished it, because it came out to the same, same conclusions. And they have looked at her work, and they reluctantly agree that there's something to it. Now here's what, here's what she said. This is a good science statement. She said, either there are ways of preserving organic material that we have no concept of now, or these bones are not as old as we thought. Now that's a good science statement. That's, that's honest. Others have found more soft tissues. That opened a whole gate. It's almost like, well, let's go break open our bones and let's look at fossils and, and let's look for things. Organic material, here's the thing. We use their studies, evolutionist studies, because they've been interested in the subject of how long DNA, it takes for DNA to break down or proteins or whatever, how long. So the very last thing that can break down organically was like a million years. Everything else has gone way before then. And so uh, suddenly they are looking in the fossils, uh, not just dinosaur bones, but fossils for organic material. And it's been a, quite a while since I've looked, but I know they had at least three dozen that they had pretty well confirmed. So examples of finding organic material. Um, yeah, so you can, based on their studies, you can say, well, then fossils are thousands of years old, not millions of years. At least we'd take a few zeros off. Mammoths are probably post-flood, but mammoths are, um, yeah, yeah. Alaska is difficult to get mammoth parts out of. You can, but they're difficult. Uh, in my museum, I've got several mammoth parts, uh, and uh, but I got them from Siberia. Siberia is much easier to get because you pay in American dollars. Yeah, okay, we'll ship to you. Yes, they find them preserved and frozen uh, in DNA, and there, there's some talk about uh, recreating mammoths yeah. with the, for the DNA, and the only reason they could do that is because the DNA is frozen, so it's preserved better. And they might they might inseminate a Sri Lankan elephant 
A Sri Lankan elephant is a subspecies of elephant. It's got the hump in the back, kind of like the mammoth, so they think it's probably the closest living example of a relative of a mammoth, so they might do that. Harvard's working on that, so that they might do that someday. That's interesting. But in terms of dinosaurs and Jurassic Park and all of the, the things that supposedly they could do with just, uh, you know, mosquitoes that are, you know, covered with, with uh, sap and preserved that have the blood of dinosaurs in them and get the blood and make a new dinosaur. That's not good science. I know. Sorry, man. Sorry. Just can't happen. I know. It's hard to imagine. They don't always have good science in movies. (laughs) But anyway, no, the parts I've got of mammoths, including a tusk of a young mammoth this long, uh, came from Siberia. Um, and like I said, and there was a resource there. And, you know, I tell Russian pastors whenever I can find one, do you have any friends in Siberia? Well, they, sometimes they do. Man, if they could go out and dig, we could sponsor some real missionary projects. Yeah. What they find. <laughs> but it's easier to get them out of Siberia than Alaska. Oh, well. So, good. Any other thoughts, comments? Um, I want to thank you for the idea that you will be interested in presenting creation because uh, about 10 years ago or so I did a series across the street from the University of Idaho uh, and that's, uh, that was one of the recorded ones that went on uh, 3ABN. We did the whole series, seven nights for that one. And uh, we had the Best Western Convention Center there which only holds about 200 people, but we had 200 people all nights, and uh, we had people from the university. I had one lady come and tell me afterwards on the side, I believe like you believe, but I can't talk about it like that in the university. You know, can't do it like that, so, but um, it is a subject that's interesting to wide variety of people. Whether it's liberals who want to see what this nuthead is going to say from, you know, or, or just curious, all the way to evangelical Christians who want a little more information, a little more, a little more oomph for their own positions. Uh, and everywhere in between. Everybody's kind of curious about the subject. That's why dinosaurs sell in movies mm. <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. So um, it, it is a good opening wedge, and I believe that we should be sharing it with a loud voice. Uh, loud voice. That's my favorite angel. The first angel's message. The loud voice went absolutely. And uh, goes to every tribe, tongue, and, and, and all of that. And I, I, I wish we as a people, you know, we're going to get people that will be shaken out of the church. But we're going to get people that will be brought in to fill in those spaces. And what, are, what will they be looking for? A church that believes from Genesis to Revelation. Yeah and believes in a God that can give us a historical record that's reliable. So, anyway, let me pray with you guys, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for these uh, servants of yours, these ministers that have come to try to hone in on a way of, of presenting the great truths of, of origins of where we all came from, your creative power. It's revealed in nature, Lord. If we can reveal that to people, they will be drawn to you. Just as Christ on the cross draws people, I think as we studied your works in nature, it's how science began to learn more about the Creator. I pray, Lord, that we can share this information uh, in an honest and reliable way with people that are searching for these things. So bless each one of the people here, Lord. Give them what they need. Uh, Give them the knowledge they need, the tact they need, 
because a lot of people are defensive about their positions. It's just like a religious belief. I pray that you can break down prejudice wherever it exists. And may Christ be glorified as the creator he really is. We pray in his name. Amen. At the Propel Conference, we emphasized the practice of reflection. Stop for a moment and think about how what you just heard could be applied to your ministry. What was the big idea for you? How can you apply this in your own ministry context? And when this episode finishes in another minute, I encourage you to pause for five or 10 minutes and just let your mind wander. This reflection time can really help you synthesize a new path forward in your own ministry. Okay, that's it for this episode. We'd love to hear from you. You can shoot us an email at podcast at propelconference.org. And please plan to join us for the 2024 Propel Conference coming back to Vancouver, Washington, April 28th through May 1, 2024. Special thanks to Dr. Stan Hudson for speaking at the Propel Conference this year and to Sermon View for sponsoring this episode. This has been the Propel Podcast, inspiration and training to grow your church. The Propel Podcast is sponsored by the North Pacific Union Conference, the Seventh-day Adventists. The event recording services were provided by Adventist Learning Community. And the podcast is produced by the crew at Sermon View Evangelism Marketing. I'm Larry Witzel, wishing you God's richest blessing in your evangelistic journey. Please join us again next time for another episode of The Propel Podcast. Mm-hmm.